Hey everyone, thanks for checking out this episode of Aurelius Podcast. This time around we had a lot of great discussion and practical examples on how to really get at applying user research to building a product strategy, meaning creating the connection between doing user research and those insights and making strategic product decisions or design decisions. We had Melissa Perry as our guest, and she's a healthy mix between both product management and UX, having backgrounds in both. I think this makes her the perfect person to have as a guest on our podcast because of that, especially given the nature of product management today. There seems to be a huge mix of those disciplines happening more and more every single day. And just as a reminder, if you do enjoy the episode, we would absolutely love it if you would give us a rating on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, wherever it is that you listen to us. We are a free and independent podcast, and it helps us a lot in continuing to deliver these episodes to you. And so with that, on to the show. Welcome to Aurelius Podcast, Episode 9 with Melissa Perry. She is a product management consultant and trainer and the founder of Products Labs and the Product Institute, a new online school for product managers. Melissa, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Zach. Absolutely. So, you know, as keeping with a lot of the theme, especially that we've been having conversations uh, in some past guests, product strategy. And I know that this is a topic you're particularly passionate about, and I'm going to dive in and just ask directly first, what does product strategy mean to you? Yeah, I think product strategy is one of those very controversial topics when we get into product management. Uh, and where I see most people go wrong is that they think product strategy is a plan. So it's a plan of what is the list of features we should be building? Where should we be building it? How do we release it? Like the whole gamut there. Um, but to me, I don't see that as viable because a lot of plans fail. <laughs> you can't really predict what's going to happen like years in advance like many people would like to. Um, and if you've never tested or been out into the market to get information from your, your customers, you won't really know if your plan's going to work. So we plan all these things up front and they fail. So to me, an effective product strategy is a system. And that system is comprised of um, goals and achievable metrics to tell you where you are. So where is the company going? Where is this product in particular going? Um, and then also constraints. So which are the boxes that we want to work within so that we can keep the teams on, um, on the track for what we want to do? Um, and these things all work together to allow you to actually achieve goals for your business by solving customer problems. Got it. All right. So there's a couple of things that you said in there that absolutely resonate with me for sure. And so the first one that I can think of is just, you're talking about goals, right? You mentioned goals for the business and, uh, and setting these up ahead of time. So we understand like what our strategy is, is meant to help us meet. Do you draw a distinction between goals, you know, for the business uh, and goals for the product? Is, are they different? Are they the same? Yes. Um, I think it's, it's, they're, they're intertwined. So there's different levels of goals that we should be looking at. Um, and the thing I forgot to mention is also the vision. So that's actually the high level goal of the company, of that product line, of that vertical of where are we going? Like, what, what do we want to be when we grow up, right? Where do we want to be in five to 10 years? So this is something that's like set by the management. So it's something like, um, you know, if you are a food delivery startup, for example, it's, do you want to take over the dinner market? Or is your vision more to be like, 
you know, a Tuesday, Thursday type option where people buy you and they go to the grocery store and you help them learn how to cook? Like, what is your vision for the company that you're actually trying to create? But then underneath it, we have many different levels of goals. And some of those goals are objectives, strategic objectives that the company wants to hit. Things like trying to um, enter new markets or trying to enter new customer bases, um, acquire more users, retain more users. It's like high level. We're not really sure how we're going to get there tomorrow, but we really want to get here, you know, within a year, within two years. And then thinking about the products, we have to think about how do we take either what we have now and optimize get to those goals? So as product managers, we're trying to figure out that. What can I do with what I have right now to help get there? Or what can I create that's new? And below things that most people think about as goals and about analytics, right? That's when we're tracking, okay, people did a car last week compared to this week. That, those are like very low level things that keep the pro a couple levels higher to actually figure out how does our product impact what the business is trying to Right. Okay. So you're talking about the difference between the the high level vision of a company and then the lower level product goals or experience type goals. And I'm curious in that particular case, being that you do draw the distinction between the two, how do you work with that? So how do you get at that higher level vision to be able to connect it and turn it into those lower level product goals? Okay. Yeah. I, so I think there's a couple things in there. One is that it's not really like a low level product manager's job, or it's really beyond their expertise to be able to set a lot of those strategic high level goals. Right. So now we got to work with management and figure out what it is they're actually trying to accomplish. Sometimes that means the people on the ground floor have to go to management and pry it out of them because management might not even be aware of those goals themselves, which is what I run into a lot. Um, or they're not really sure how to set them, right? So it involves a lot of communication between the levels to actually get there. So the high level vision, that's always set by like the person who's in charge of that vertical of that company, right? So if you're a small company, that's CEO. Um, larger companies, it might be the people who are the head of each business line, right? Or setting like where that's going. And maybe they have input from another level up that's more from corporate. Um so they're setting those things. And then below them on the director levels, those people are setting these like more intermediate goals, these things that don't necessarily relate directly to the product, but to uh, relate to business objectives. So they're looking at um, things like, you know, retention or acquisition or entering new markets or figuring out how to launch new things. Um, and then the people on the ground floor are trying to figure out what can we build to get there, right? Like what are, what are short-term goals and what can we build to get there? So setting them is a little, it's a little tricky, right? Because now you have to communicate with each other. Whereas in previous strategy meetings, what happens is management goes into this like black box where they're like, oh, I'll figure out the strategy for the next 10 years. And they come out and then they hand it down and they say, go build this. So when you're actually working more as a system, you have to have like people talking to every level above you and giving you just enough direction so that you know what it is you're being held accountable for being held to success for, um, and then you can go figure out how to get it done. Okay. Got it. Yeah. So there's a, I mean, yeah, so there's a lot of different players in that, right? Mm -hmm. That leads me to 
I think a natural question, which is how does this change in setting these kind of goals up, uh, depending on if it's a, a pretty big company, which it sounds like you were kind of describing, right? It's like there's the executive team and, uh, and then there's these layers in between with maybe folks like you or I who are just building the thing, making the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, how does that change if it's, if it's a smaller company, say a hundred people? Yeah, it works. Or less. I think you have less moving pieces when it's a smaller company. So if you've got a hundred people or less, you might be working on, one product, right? Instead of 20 products, like a large bank, for instance, right? Banks have like mortgages, loans, all those different verticals. When you're looking at strategy, you're looking in a bank within each of those verticals. As a smaller company, that strategy is probably going to apply for your whole business. So it's just that there's less layers. It's not that um, really you're a little bit smaller, right? You have less levels to get up to. You have less people to pick the vision out of. You can get that just kind of changes the scope. And I think when you're trying to figure out how to set the goals, I always ask myself, what's the most important thing that we have to do next to try to achieve that vision, right? There's no list of goals that you just pick one from. It's just more of a question of yourself going, you know, getting the team together and going, okay, we want to be here in five years. What's the most important thing that we do next? or one or multiple of those, like top three, right? If you have multiple teams, what's the most important thing that we do next to actually achieve that vision? And then, you know, how do we achieve that goal that helps us get to the vision? And it's an open-ended question. And it's going to really depend on different teams. When I work with like smaller startup teams that are about, you know, 200 people or less, um, a lot of their stuff is around optimizing what they have. So their goals in order to become a sustainable company is to become profitable. That might mean acquiring users or retaining users or creating new product lines that appeal to their existing user base to try to get more revenue out of them. So a lot of their goals kind of look like that. When you're a much larger larger organization, um, you get into a lot of different things with like legacy systems, maintaining it, looking at different verticals and making sure that they all go together and they're all communicating with each other. So that it goes back up to the holistic vision. Yeah. And something you said in there uh, gave me a, a curious thought, which is, if it's a smaller company, it's likely that they have less products, right? That's almost always true. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, here's the vision that immediately translate into the product that is the company. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But it, like in a financial institution, as an example, then you have maybe multiple products supporting just one part of the vision, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's exactly it. And I just think it's, um, I think people might see it easier as a small company. This is something I get. Um, I hear backlash from from people who work at very large companies when I try to introduce these concepts. They go, oh, but we're a huge company. We have so many moving systems. And it's true. Like in big companies, there's a lot more to think about. But that doesn't mean that these techniques aren't impossible, right? It just means that you have to consider a lot more stages. And it's also important to kind of focus on what you have to work on, not go crazy about trying to fix them, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's out of your control. So it's more about working with those people rather than trying to take control of it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You know, generally speaking, you should be doing this stuff. You should, you should have an aim. You should have a goal for what it is you're trying to achieve as opposed to just going and making stuff and hoping it sticks, hoping it has a positive impact. Yep. And, uh, you know, obviously it's important to be doing this stuff. I'm curious if I were to ask you what makes up a good goal, you know, what sort of comprises or what elements, uh, create a good goal, what would your answer be? Sure. I think there's a few factors that we have to consider when we're setting goals. Um, one is that it's measurable and achievable. So it's something that we can track over time. We can see the difference between 
um, what happened earlier versus previously. So there's usually a time component on goals, right? You want to have some kind of starting point, even if that starting point is zero, so that you can go back and compare what you've done to it. The other piece of it is that it has to be focused more on outcomes instead of outputs. So what I mean by this is that you don't want to set your goals to look at the production of what your team does. I see so many companies say, oh, our goal is to like ship this feature. But you don't know if that feature is actually going to do anything for you, right? Like it's like maybe it's a really crappy feature and it doesn't actually do anything at the end of the day. Maybe your customers need it. Like that's a terrible goal to aspire to. But if you focus more on what you're trying to achieve there, so we think by shipping this feature, right, we're going to be able to increase retention or target this other market. Um, those are goals you can actually measure. Those are things that result in you shipping things. Um, and that actually like plays into the definition of done when you're building products as well, right? Because if you have a goal that's to ship a feature, but that doesn't mean that feature is actually good. So we want to give ourselves room to go back and make it better and make sure we're shipping the right things instead of just shipping. I, I love the fact that you just said at the end there, make sure that we're shipping the right things, doing the right things. Okay. <clears throat> That's so critical. What we are about as a company as well and helping people do the right things. So you're using goals to help you define that, right? Mm -hmm. Could you maybe give us an example of a goal that does not help us? And then, you know, the alternative one that, that may. Hmm. Outputs don't help us determine what's the right thing to build. Um, anything that gives us a deadline on, you know, we're going to build a platform for our sellers. That's not like a good goal, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We're going to um, allow our sellers to become more productive. That's a good vision. Um, and we want to measure that by decreasing the amount of goal you can measure. You can release 12 features to do that. You can release an email to do that, right? You know, what I can achieve for the business. So when we think about the right thing, I think it goes back to two things. Product strategy, product management, all of that. It's the art of reaching business goals by solving customer needs. But they should be what we want to achieve for both of those things. It should be how do we want to empower them? How do we want to solve their problems? Um, and I think that gets lost a lot. Like, oh, we're going to deliver value right to our customers when we release this product. And it's like, no, that's not value. They don't get value in it. Thing, they get value when they solve their problems. Awesome. So this is actually a good place to point out that we are working on Aurelius version two, which is going to be the smartest user research and insights platform for design and product teams. You can actually go to our website, www.aureliuslab.com and sign up for updates on our progress and get on the wait list for beta access to check it out whenever we release that. But let's get back to the episode. And so, you know, learning that value, that's, that's learning from people or your customers, whatever you call them, it's user research. That's how you learn about what value is for them. Mm -hmm. There's people we hope to get money from as a business. We should be doing something that is valuable to them, but we need to understand what that is. You know, step one is probably have very good goals. So not only have a, a mission and try to mm -hmm. articulate that in a way that we can set product goals to help meet that vision. Mm -hmm right? Where does this customer understanding come into play? How do we work with that in product management, building mm -hmm. products? Yeah. So this is, um, so when I teach this, I say step one is set a goal. Step two is go understand and empathize with your users to figure out what problems you can solve for them to help reach that goal. Now, 
this is where it gets tricky in product management because I feel like people do this so wrong. Um, I, they want, you know, they're just going to give us a laundry list of things. And I'm like, well, you shouldn't be asking customers what they want. You should be asking customers what their problems are. So you're getting them saying, are you happy with this? Why not? What can I build you instead? Instead, you're asking this, what's your goal? What does the end result look like to you? Like, what do you get out of this when I solve this problem? How happy are you going to be? This type of questioning allows you to like focus more on the needs. So when we have a goal, we can go explore all those problems, explore those opportunities, right? And they don't necessarily, like they'll result back to a customer problem, but it's the product manager's job, whole product team's job, right? I'm a very big advocate for this whole team working together, but it is these people's job to look at that problem and say, how can we harness technology to solve it? And that they have a problem. Maybe it's just one of those frustrations that you can see. If your customers plan on actually buying your thing. So this is where we kind of get into this um, kind of debate about like innovation. And, you know, nobody knew they needed the iPhone, but we made the iPhone and it was a big hit. But it came together from like, there was this need, there was this trend of there was, this, we had, um, you know, one device for music, we had one device for phones, phones were starting to become more smartphones, like that was out there, but they weren't great yet. So Apple swooped in there, and they found all the problems, that little gap, right, that opportunity gap between a need and a desire, right. And then for Apple as an example, I hear too many people go, Oh, and Apple never asks their customers what they want. And it's true, they don't. And you shouldn't either. Um, you should be figuring out what they need. Like that's, that's the whole point there is to really focus in on those problems, compare and make that's an opportunity for your company and then go after solving it. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Aiming to learn about customer needs, uh, figuring out what your customers need, not asking what they want mm -hmm. is a super important distinction there. And, you know, a quick aside about Apple is, you know, they did research. They just didn't call it that. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, aside from all of that, you know, go and learn from your customer and try to try to use that as a as a goals that you set to find opportunities that you should act on. And I think that that's really, really important. So talk about that a little bit more, if you would. Yeah. Um, so so there's two things in there. Right. So when we go out to like explore different problems, um, I see companies not spend enough time doing this one because they're so focused on building. Right. They don't see progress stuff. So what I do with the goals is the goals are kind of guardrails, right? To keep these teams on, on focus. They relate back up to the high strategic things that our company wants to achieve. So when we're looking at customer problems, right? We evaluate them like an innovative new product. We want to go for those crazy like gaps and opportunities, right? For example, I was working with a company earlier this year and we were trying to acquire more users. So we dug into, you know, the data. Um, we looked at people, we looked at the conversion funnel, people coming and going, and we found out that there was one area of the conversion funnel that dropped. So we did our strategic analysis there. We figured out where we should concentrate. Then we try to figure out from customers why they weren't getting past that point. So we used um, a bunch of different techniques. And the one that really stood out to me was um, using Qualaroom. So we, we had to try to get in touch with people who we couldn't get in touch with, which is like a weird thing if you're um, this consumer facing website. So we put Qualaroo on there and they told us all their problems, right? And it was nothing that we had actually imagined, but that we had an acquisition goal, right? We weren't looking like the rest of the company were looking at, you know, how to make new offerings. They were trying to figure out how to expand to different areas and stuff. But because our team had that goal of acquisition, 
we had something to really drill down into and explore problems around that. So it kept us focused. And I think that's a big thing for teams. Um, without a goal, you can't focus. You don't know what to expect your goal. It's just that that might not be the biggest priority to solve them. Maybe it's something you found that's insane and you want to change your entire strategy for it, but it's not normally that. So we have to figure out how to keep ourselves you know, on the train tracks, how to actually focus and get things done. Yeah. And I mean, so you're talking about really using goals to define what a good uh, decision or product recommendation is mm -hmm. and, and how I go about getting around politics and emotions and the kind of work that we do. Mm. You know, when you talk about a certain recommendation or decision, and it's not only backed up mm -hmm. by what you learn from your customers and that research, but also how it directly helps meet one of those really well-defined goals that you should have set up yeah. for the product or the experience mm -hmm. earlier. I've never seen that meeting go poorly. Yeah. And this is like a big thing that I get um, from the students there is to say no. How do I say no to their ideas when they come up to, to me with them? Um, and I tell them, if you do have this, like you said, like if you have that clear goal and you have these top problems, you can then take their thing, get to the root of the problem and say, how does it compare to all these things? If we have, let's do it. That sounds great. But if it's not, then we're not going to work on it. Right, exactly. And you even alluded to this too. I mean, you didn't necessarily call it the backlog or the bug list or whatever, yeah. but the reality is that's, that's how it manifests, right? And we often say we have all these critical bugs and X, Y, and Z. Uh, and to your point, I think it's completely fair to say sometimes that's true, mm -hmm. right? That is the reality. But then a lot of times, if we could simply say, if we fix this, does it help us meet any of our strategic goals? Mm -hmm. If the answer is no, at worst, you've had a more critical conversation about it than you had in the recent past. At best, you stop wasting your time yeah. building shit that doesn't matter, right? And you start like actually delivering value to your customers and your business at the same time. Yep, I believe on those. Now, one thing though that I will say, because I'm running into this with one of the products I'm using right now, is that you should make sure all your products are stable before you start innovating on new stuff. I am using this product right now that keeps putting out all these new features that has debatable value to the people. Like I'm in this community talking about it and people are like, yeah, it's not really helping, right? Um, but there's so many broken things on it. And it's like, if people can't use your product normally, you're going to have a problem. So I will say your first goal, everybody's first goal when they're creating something new is to stabilize that thing and make sure it's um, creating value. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like the Hippocratic Oath, right? Like first do no harm. I mean, make mm -hmm. sure the thing that you built can deliver the value and be stable. Exactly. Okay. So I, I want to ask, it's, uh, it's kind of, we're doing this stuff. I mean, what should a product strategy look like? I mean, is this something that we create? Is these just conversations that we should have? The question of what are we doing and why mm -hmm. having good answers to that and it always should be you know here's what we're doing here are the goals that help us meet and here's the answer to why because this is what we learned from customers and, and here's how it's good for our business exactly and i think it's like that's a template i start with and every company needs something a little bit different along with product strategies i tell leaders to also provide guardrails right i feel like it's in order to work this way, you need a new leadership style. You need leaders um, who get out of the team's way, set those goals, and then let them go figure out how to get there instead of dictating what features they should be doing. You have to be more of um, a guide for them, right? Like somebody they can go talk to, bounce ideas off of, but not somebody who's going to hold their hand to the fire to build something. 
So do they're usually a little wary about, you know, letting teams go off and do this because they're afraid they're going to mess up. So I said, provide guardrails, right? And guardrails are things that we want to do within our bounds. So guardrails could be something like you must use um, this create design template that we have, right? Like use these colors, use this style guide, and then you can experiment on whatever you want to as long as it looks like this and you don't have to get designer sign off all the time. These types of guardrails allow the teams to actually work a lot faster and more independently instead of going through sign-offs all the time. Yeah, completely. I mean, the constraint, and as a designer uh, by trade, I would say those are just working within the constraints that we have and Mm -hmm. everybody has them and they're actually good for making better products. Um, I think that that's, I think that's ending on a really, really strong note. And I'm going to do something that I think out of nine episodes on the podcast so far, I haven't done is actually even plug what we do. So I, I mean, Aurelius is a platform that helps us connect all of these, th- all of these things, you know, our, our goals for the product and experience and the research insights we have. And, and as Melissa even says, the decisions <laughs> that we, that we make based on all that stuff. So if you're interested in that, obviously, you know where to find us there. Melissa, I want to ask you, is there anything that you want to share with folks who might be listening to the podcast today, stuff that you're working on, stuff that you're interested in? Sure. Um, so I've been interested in trying to further um, product managers, uh, trying to further their careers, further their uh, their learning. So just early this year, we launched, after um, doing a lot of experimentation last year, productinstitute.com. And it's an online class with mentorship, uh, one-on-one mentorship in the Slack community for product managers. And it's for product managers, not people who have never heard of product before. It's more for people who have about a year experience, a couple months experience. Even if you're a designer and you've worked on a product team before, you'll be able to take this class. But it goes into um, a lot of detail of what we're talking about here, how to build good products, how to experiment with it. Um, And it's been good. We have uh, 50 people in the first class. We're going to launch the second class on January 31st. And then we're going to keep rolling the emissions after that. And then besides Product Institute, I am writing a book with O'Reilly called Escaping the Bill Trap, How Effective Product Management Creates Customer Value. And we just decided on that subtitle like two days ago. Awesome. Excited to to actually do it. It's been like a year going back and forth about what we're going to call this thing. Um, But it's a book on how product management should be done both on the lower level from the product managers, what should be expected from them, but also how organizations need to restructure themselves into product organizations to help harness this way of thinking. So incorporating things like product strategy that we just talked about and how you can be an effective product leader from that. That's awesome. Well, you sound very busy and it sounds like you're doing a lot of great stuff to support our community. Uh, Check out the show notes. We're going to make sure we have links to all Mm -hmm. of that stuff. Uh, Although the book is not out yet, we will make a a clear mention of that. Melissa, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. It's been great. All right, guys. We will see you next time. If you enjoyed this episode, consider leaving us a rating on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen to our podcast. And also, you can fill out our podcast survey where you can let us know if someone awesome that we should have on the show and even tell us about the things you would want to hear about, topics that are interesting for you. You can check that out in the show notes or on our website. Thanks for listening to Aurelius Podcast, talking about product strategy and design strategy. 
We are the first platform of its kind to help you solve the right problems for your customers and your business and build products and services that truly matter. You can check us out at AureliusLab.com. That is www.A-U-R-E-L-I-U-S-L-A-B.com. You can check us out on Twitter at AureliusLab and Instagram AureliusLab. We'll see you next time.